Another Triple Six ABC Canberra podcast. To subscribe to any of our podcasts, go to abc.net.au slash Canberra. It's a great time for a longer conversation with someone we actually think we know her personally. Um, we walk up to her. It's so funny to see people just give her a hug immediately because we love her. And I'm talking about Noni Hazelhurst. And Graham Blundell says, no one does ordinary and vulnerable like Noni. And that kind of nails it. Last night at the queue in Queanbeyan, Noni Hazelhurst was extraordinary, playing the vulnerable character of Christy in the one-woman show Mother. Christy is the bag lady, homeless. We've all seen her on house streets, seen but probably never stopped to say hello. Some of you might have. Hear her story because many of us fear the pain, the vulnerability, our own helplessness, and perhaps there's judgment. No avoiding that in this play, which is on at the queue until Saturday, including a matinee as well as Saturday night performance. And I urge you to see one of our greatest actors in this award-winning performance in a play written especially for her. Peter has phoned to say he and his partner, Karen, attended Mother last night. And in one word, Peter says superb. Noni was wonderful. Her presence on stage, her aura was superb. Reviews are in, Noni. <laughs> That's lovely. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> How lovely to see you. Thanks, Alex. Lovely Thank, to be with you. Thanks for coming for the longer, gorgeous day. longer chat. We've, yeah. t- we've turned it on for you. Although it's getting down to um, nine degrees is the revised forecast top on Friday. Yeah, I don't mind the cold. I prefer it to being hot, actually. And uh, I've been asking people to turn off the heating everywhere I go. <laughs> Here she comes. Turn the heating That's down. It. I'm with Noni, actually. You won a Helpman Award for this. I was nominated. Nominated. Yes, I did and we, we won a, a nomination for Best Touring Show as well, mm. which was great. Well, for me, it's an award-winning performance. <laughs> Thank you. It's just, it's, it was written particularly for you, especially it for was. you. It was, yeah. I'm so lucky. Daniel Keane is a wonderful writer. Like many Australian playwrights, he's uh, unheralded and not particularly well-known, but his work is beautiful. Mm. And um, Matt Shelton, who's the director, has directed a number of Daniel's works in the past. And we met many years ago, and, and he directed me in a show for the Melbourne Theatre Company called The Heretic in 2013. And he said to me after that, what would you like to do that you haven't done before? And I said, well, I'd love to do a one-woman show. And so we got together with Daniel, had a coffee and talked about themes that interested us, like judgment and people who fall through the cracks and empathy. And Matt said to him, look, go away, write a little one-pager and we'll see if we can get you a grant. Because like most writers and most Mm -hmm. artists in this country, he's not rich. And uh, 10 days later, Daniel knocked on Matt's door with the script. And 10 days? 10 days. And the only thing that's changed is Daniel took four lines out of his own volition before he even started. So it's an extraordinary piece. It just poured out of him. What is that line about the poor are not written up in history? The just, history – oh, hang on, I'm not in character. Um, <laughs> history doesn't happen to the poor. There was an intake of breath in my line in the seats. We all went, oh! <gasps> mm. Yeah, I know. I know. There's so many wonderful pearls of wisdom in this play. Um, And as I said, it's an absolute privilege to do it. And the most commonly asked question is, how do you remember your lines? Um, It's a 39-page monologue. And I just want to do justice to this beautiful work because Mm. it's so poetic and evocative and haunting and funny. And, you know, it's just a wonderful story of a life and, and how decisions have consequences. Because it is like a long poem, isn't it? Yes, it is. There's no punctuation in the script at all. Except by the birds. Yes, yes. But as written, there's no punctuation. Mm. 
So it's it's uh, it's and I don't think you free flowing stumbled <laughs> once last night. Oh, I, was... I wouldn't tell you if I did, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> no, the yes, stage well. manager tells me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you because it's it's tough, tough material, but you do make us laugh mm. as well. I don't know how you managed to do that, but you did. It's a black humour, I guess. Well, she's and... funny, you know. I mean, no life is unrelievedly black just as no life is unrelievably pleasant, you know, and, and I think we do mm. reduce ourselves too much. You know, I'm just an actress or I'm just a housewife. No, we're all incredibly complex and, you know, we're all struggling on some level and uh, I, I think it's it's really important that, you know, the balance that Daniel has brought into this piece, um, and, you know, and some nights the character that I play finds things funnier than other nights too, you know, so... Uh, every night's a little a little bit different depending on the audience and on, you know, how my day's been or whatever. So it's a really wonderful launch into the void every night to, to just see what, what evolves. Mm. It's a great challenge. Mm. And with that reference to the poetry, um, it is the plays like the Medea mm. and Dorothy Hewitt's play, um, poems have been were sourced for this, is that right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're all great fans of Dorothy Hewitt's work. Mm. I was lucky enough to be in the first production of The Man from Muckinuppin in Perth in about 1970-something, I don't know, 100 years ago. Um, and then I did it again for the Sydney Theatre Company. Again, a very much unheralded and wonderful Australian mm. writer. Um, and so there's a, there's a kind of indirect homage to Dorothy's work and to some extent part of her life because she had a, a very troubled period when she was first married and had a young child. So there are there are echoes of that, but it certainly doesn't mm. depend on you knowing Greek tragedy or Dorothy Hewitt's work oh, to, no. to appreciate it, just, it, but those are the influences. It just flowed that, over me yeah, and I thought Daniel this is, is like this tragic, tragic poem and mm. Um, mm. No, Noni Hazelhurst and beautifully your director, Matt. Um, I did have my mum with me last night and just before we went in, went, Matt went, now there, there is a little bit of, you know, coarse language <laughs> <laughs> which my mother took in a stride, by the she way. She certainly did. But she was warned. Yes, <laughs> so we'll, that's we'll true. Throw that that's out. true. Th- yes, throw that out there. It's not recommended for people under 15, I, I suspect. But I, I recommend that you don't miss it. And uh, as I said, one of one of our great, great actors, um, Noni Hazelhurst, is with me this afternoon. And uh, you never take your eyes off her. You never waver. You kind of concentrate on the lines and go, did she just say that? <laughs> it's so extraordinary. Has yes. this story impacted on you? Oh, they all do. Um, all the stories that I tell have some impact because they have to resonate with me for me to want to tell them. Um, yes, it's it's an interesting piece because it's a real. I mean, the thing that resonates most for me is mother. You know, any, mm. that I am a mother, and you know, there. But by the grace of God and a few bad decisions and environmental influences, go any of us. So I've never found it difficult to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And I, I get very disturbed when I hear things like we can't afford to be empathetic. Uh, you know, it, it disturbs me that we call do-gooders, that we use the phrase do-gooder as some sort of derogatory expression, bleeding hearts. You know, women can't, aren't as capable of politics because they care too much. Those sorts of entreaties drive me crazy because how can you care too much? For your fellow human beings. I actually remember a fellow broadcaster was called out that as, as bleeding heart and she beautifully just went, yep. Yeah, proud to be. Proud Absolutely to be. proud to it was, be. It made me so proud to be her friend. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, you know, what, what are we teaching our children if we're saying don't care about people, mm. you know, or that we're more entitled than other people to enjoy a quality of life? It doesn't make sense to me. And I've always said to my boys, you know, who are poor, poor kids, um, <laughs> I've always said you're not special but you are unique. 
because if you're special, someone else isn't, and I don't understand how mm. that works. Is that what you were told as a kid too? Oh, I was never told I was special. I was always told to to um, play someone other than myself. Because <laughs> if people, my mother used to say, if people knew what you were really like, oh dear. So yeah, becoming an actor was my only option, really. What What were you really like, Tony? What did well, you mean by that? I I wasn't what she wanted me to be. I guess she wanted me to be more like Julie Andrews or um, Julie Anthony, which you know, great careers and wonderful women, both of them, but. You know, in my thirties, I was doing nude scenes in Monkey Grip, and you know, gee, what a, what a scene that was! Too. Yeah, well, you know, um, <laughs> and being you know naked and pregnant in a film called Waiting, and um, but you know, she she didn't teach me that, but she did teach me that you can't have it all, which I took as a challenge. But she was right, and she taught you about hard work too, didn't Absolutely. she? Absolutely, my parents both did. Yeah, mm. I'm a fourth generation performer, and mum and dad were in vaudeville in England before the Second World mm. War in the advent of television, and. And they made it very clear, you know, once they realised I had the passion and, and some talent, they they made it clear that I had to be able to do everything. I had to sing, I had to dance, I had to do piano, I had to do ballet, gym, calisthenics, you know, you just have to be prepared and comedy and accents and so, and that's true, you know, and they said the industry doesn't know you are living, so you have to be able to do the lot. Great advice. Noni Hazelhurst is my guest this afternoon. It's coming up to a quarter past two. It's 17 degrees. And, of course, in this spot, we pinch the old Desert Island Disc formula because yes. I think music choices tell you a lot about people. Mm. And we've got you to choose some music for us, Noni. Um, tell me about the first one. The Reels. Yeah. I just love this song. It's um, I love the sentiment behind it. Love will find a way. And it's just really catchy, and and um, Matt and I are actually working on a, an idea for a TV series about a wedding celebrant, wedding stylist, and uh, we we love this song, and we we hope that enough times pass that it'll be fairly cheap to get the rights. But we just love this song. We think it's um I think particularly it's a, just a bouncy uh, song that encapsulates the spirit of the time and a great Australian band. <laughs> It's such a definite sound of Australia at a certain time, isn't it? It so is. It absolutely is. And I just love the sentiment, love will find a way. Noni Hazelhurst, the loving, the beautiful, the wonderful Noni <laughs> <Sometimes>. Hazelhurst <laughs> is with me this afternoon for Canberra Close-Up and spending time because she's on at the queue. She's on there until Saturday night, but there's also a matinee on Saturday as well in a fantastic uh, one-woman show called Mother. You are on Triple Six. And Noni, you referenced there your... Actually, just before I get to that, I really want to know about... That's such a great angle to do a film about from the eyes of a marriage celebrant. Yes. <laughs> yes. Tell me a little bit more. Well, well, I, well, what can I tell you without giving it all away? Um, I, I'll I just, still come. It's okay. I, no, 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 it's for television. I, I just think it's, uh, it's a subject matter that hasn't really been dealt with no. before. And, and I just think people go through such hoops, you know, for their weddings and often often for the wrong reasons. and The whole Bridezilla thing. Yeah, and they're yeah. tempted to spend too much money. And so I think she'd be a fairly down-to-earth kind of um, stylist. She'd be saying, you really don't need all that stuff, you know, <laughs> trying to sort of get it down to the nitty-gritty of what's really important as opposed to everyone else's expectations. So, uh, And she, uh, the idea is that she's surrounded by her family in this business and that they're not exactly necessarily helpful all the time. Oh, fantastic. As families it's a great sometimes premise. aren't. Oh, yes. look, I, hope, I hope it um, goes the, Me too. through. Noni Hazel. In, in that speech, and 
Let's just face it, you are only the second woman to be inducted into the Logies Hall of Fame, Ruth Cracknell. Times are changing, eh? <laughs> Two, yeah, folks. Yeah. Look, it won't be a thing soon. You know, it's... Uh, uh, you, you just you have to say it's reflective of the times. You know, it's reflective of the zeitgeist that prevailed for the last 40 years. Mm. Um, and it's it's happening all over the world. You know, there's a pushback against equality on many levels and on many fronts, but... It, it, I hope in my lifetime it's no longer a thing. You went on and I think, in fact, I do this spot called The Sweet Spot every Friday where I try to look for some good in the world. Yes. Because you can have a really bad week yeah. of a lot of news coming at you. And, yes, you said you started that fantastic response that I think made us all stand in our tracks. And a little bit in the way... The Rosie Batty speech was on that complete other level, of course, of tragedy and the loss of a child. But there was something in what you said to us that I think we've been crying out to hear, perhaps from our political leaders as well. You, when you said, all of a sudden it's inappropriate, we are exhorted not to have empathy, not to love. Mm. Was there anything that had sparked that? Uh, yes, yes. Um, it was a quote from the Prime Minister the week before which was um, um, an entreaty not that we shouldn't get misty-eyed about the refugees. And I object very strongly to being told how to feel. Um, you know, it's back to what we said at the beginning, that, that, you know, caring and feeling is seen as somehow weak and particularly female. Um, and I, I think that's a strength, not a weakness. So it, it really prompted me. I'll never have a forum like that again, probably, you know, and I, there was a risk that it could, it could have killed the evening stone motherless dead. Um, but I thought it was worth having a go. And, and the response was indeed overwhelming. Mm -hmm. In fact, the only negative response was, was predictable in a way. The, the usual tabloids headlined the review of it by saying, Noni savages television industry. Noni lashes out at her peers. Well, A, I didn't. And, you know, because I was just saying we, I'd like a little bit of balance and could we be mindful about what our children are exposed to, particularly very small children? And B, what kind of an idiot would I be if I'd got up at the Logies having been so honoured and said, you're all horrible and terrible and hopeless. So, you know, they made the com a combat where there was none, which was exactly what I was saying, that everything is seen in combative terms of us v them. I'm 100% right, so you're 100% wrong, which is nonsense. So, yeah, I was just making a plea for, if, if not a channel, where you could tune in any time you wanted to feel uplifted or inspired or entertained by the best entertainers in the world as opposed to wannabes, um, that, that that might provide a little bit of balance mm. because there's plenty. I think I said I'm I'm a, a proponent of the idea of, of unity rather than divisiveness. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think the divisiveness that we're being encouraged to, to promulgate at the moment is very, very dangerous. The, the trouble is, and it's always the example is put up, by that, but if you, you know, oh, they, they once had a, a newspaper that only told good news and it didn't sell. Of course, but no one's suggesting you only read that paper or you only watch that channel. You know, someone else said to me recently, wouldn't it get boring? 
I said, well, you turn it over. You know, it's it's so, this again, this reductionism, you know, oh, you're saying we should all watch it. No, I'm saying it would be nice to have another alternative to the plethora of bad mm. news that, that is everywhere. In that speech, so you, you referenced your family history mm. and, and you've talked about your sons are now the fifth generation. Yes. Is that on your mum's side? Is that No, both. My both. parents were both vaudeville performers and um, my maternal grandmother came to Australia in 1908 with uh, a J.C. Williamson's tour, um, and she she called the what were they called the Varsity Girls. She was in an act called the Varsity Girls, and she said Australia was full of spiders and snakes, and you know, but she would have been heavily corseted and, and in those days. So yeah, the the boys are, are doomed, like I was in a sense, but they're both incredibly talented. William, the younger boy, is in a a band called Storm the Sky, and their second album Sin Will Find You is doing really well. They're about to tour with a band called The Used and they've just toured with Pierce the Veil, so I'm sure there are people who know what that means. So you're there at the gigs? and uh, I can be there a lot more now. They used to have a screamer in the band, you know, the guy that goes... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, um, but that's now gone and so the direction <laughs> is changing and so it's a little bit more over 21-year-old friendly. Um, but no, they're doing really well. And Charlie, my older boy... He's a fantastic performer, but he's not actually doing anything actively in the performing game at the moment, but he could if he wanted to. Just he's wonderful. Just give him time. Oh, it's up to him. Mm-hmm. Tony Hazelhurst is my guest uh, this afternoon. Do you remember your first, you know, seeing your first stage performance or do you, is there anything that stood out in your memory? Because if it's almost expected, you know, you are of this stock. My mother used to write the concerts uh, for the, our Sunday school. And uh, this would have been, I was born in 53, so probably around 1958, uh, my very first performance um, was as Little Miss Muffet. And I had not seen the spider in costume before the performance. And so I was incredibly convincing because I shrieked and ran off the stage crying. (laughs) So I do remember that, actually. Um, But yeah, we... we No, and he always keeps it real. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, my first first real performance. Um, but yeah, that, so they never pushed me into anything professional for which I was very grateful because I think mm. a lot of children who are pushed into performing have to unlearn the things that they've been told. Um, but they did, every year there was a, a Sunday school concert and, and mum, I was Cinderella. No, I wasn't. I was Snow White and I was Aladdin. And then one of the mums said, look, do you think, you know, my daughter could have a go at one of the leads? So that year it was Cinderella and I was one of the ugly sisters, but their roles were a little bit expanded in that one. So Much yeah, more fun. It was. And Dad and I used to sing um, There's a Hole in the Bucket at these concerts and they would teach the, the church people little vaudeville routines that they, they'd learnt, you know, and it was, um, it was really fantastic to, to do that. But I loved it from that mm. moment. Do you remember going to the theatre yourself or a film and having – just being blown away? I do. I remember going to see The Sound of Music with June Bronhill. I was probably eight. And my mother said she spent most of the performance watching me because she knew I was gone. And I re- and she said that I came out and said I could play all those parts. So, um, yeah, I just, I, we didn't go to the theatre a lot. We didn't go to sort of serious plays very much. It was mostly musicals. Mm. Again, she wanted me to be Julie Andrews. Um, but, yeah, I just remember being transported. And, you know, in those days... People didn't have microphones. People could sing properly. And so it had a really live quality as opposed to this kind of disembodied voice now, which is nearly always in musicals Mm. and increasingly in theatre, which drives me insane. Train your voice, people. Um, Yeah, but it did. It was amazing for me to, you know, as it is for all children. I think all children should June Bronhill. June Bronhill. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but, you know, if you can take a child to the theatre, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Mm. And I know it's expensive, but, you know, so are electronic gadgets. Noni Hazelhurst, will we go to a bit of Treaty? Please do. Yes, this is a wonderful band, Yothi Yindi. Um, I was lucky enough to be at the closing ceremony of the 2000 Olympics oh. and they played this there and the whole place was just on its feet. Um, the only person who, who wasn't on his feet was, I suspect, Mr Howard. Um, but it was just the most wonderful celebration, you know, pre-9-11. Um, the world was a different place. And although there were security problems, it was just the most joyful celebration. And, you know, there was a cause for optimism in those it days. It was a different time. And, and this song, I just, I just love this song. It's so important to me. It is one of the great Australian anthems. And um, Noni Hazelhurst, Julian Abbott doesn't allow me to run late for news headlines very often, but he has today. Thanks, Julian. That's how special you are. <laughs> you make it out like that I'm some sort of nasty man in the cloud. Oh, no. No, no. I just make you out as professional. <clears throat> Julian. <laughs> You know, you like things to run to time and it First should run to time. I know. I do and often we... say, listener, that I need to send Alex to timeout school. <laughs> it's true. Or maybe just timeout sometimes. Uh, but look, Noni Hazelhurst is very grateful. So That's great. I am indeed. Thank uh, you. Can I ask a question of Noni? Sure. You worked on Better Homes and Gardens for a long time, didn't you? Ten years. Do you have an association with the network still? Uh, well, Channel 7 makes uh, a place to call home for okay. Foxtel, so yes, I still have an association oh, okay. with the okay. network. It's just that I often watch those shows and I think, do they get tired of painting a wall again? <laughs> <laughs> or, this week we're doing the garden again. I think they're glad for, to have a job, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, we're all performer. It's an in-between thing, is it? Well, no, it's, it's uh, I always approached it like play school for adults. You oh, know, that, that it was never, don't you wish you had one of these, but um, making the best of what you've oh, got. Oh, so that you look, was, you look through thing. the double glazed window. Then very good. <laughs> <All Ba-boom. right. laughs> Surely, you clearly watched it. So, oh, yeah. yeah, there you go. You learned the odd thing or two. Exactly. Julian. Pay someone. You're right. That's right. I'm with you, Julian. <laughs> Thank you, Julian. You are on Triple Six. It's 25. To three, Alex, so with you this afternoon. And so is Noni Hazelhurst, um, of course, the, the great, the lovely uh, Noni Hazelhurst. And a texter just said, Dear Alex, I've just had a spring spectacle, a pair of ducks at Lynham Wetlands with ducklings. Alas, not quick enough for a pick before they disperse. Oh, there you are. It's spring. Yes. Sign of spring. You can see the trees budding in front of your eyes. Noni, um, you're, you're making a bit of a reference to, you talked about, please get your voice right, mm. and your mum became very critical of what was deemed to be entertainment, and she used to say you can tell a lazy act by lots of lousy lighting. No, what, you what can always we... tell a lousy act because they use lots of tricky lighting. Okay. And I think that's pretty true of a lot of entertainment mm. that we see now. It's more about the spectacle and less about, you know, the actual artist. And, and she said the good ones just can stand in the spotlight and do it. So that always stayed with me that, you know, that what use are gimmicks. Mm. You either have something or you don't to offer and all the pyrotechnics in the world, you know, aren't going to save you. <laughs> um, which is not to say that, you know, it's not good to go and see a Bruce Springsteen concert with lots of stuff going on. But, you know, he doesn't use explosions and he doesn't come careering in in a, you know, some sort of flying machine. He just gets out there and, and goes for Rocks it. it. And, and that, to me, is the sign of a true artist. Mm-hmm. Were, were they tough, your parents? 
Uh, they were very critical. Yeah, they were perfectionists. My my mum, my dad used to say, you know, if I got ninety eight out of a hundred in the days when you used to get marks um, for an exam, he'd say, what happened to the other two percent? And actually, play school, um, the the people who produced play school created a, a revelation for me by suggesting that, because we used to tape it as a continuous half hour, li- as live, mm. and if we made a mistake, they did not want us to stop. They wanted us to problem solve and keep going because the philosophy was practice makes progress, which just made me real because, of course, there's no such thing as perfection. There can't be. It doesn't exist. And and so that really was quite a salutary moment in my life. Um, they were They were very kind... And true Christians, they weren't pretend Christians, uh, who you know espoused Christianity on one hand and and also, you know, cruelty and and nastiness on the other. They were very humble people, but they were very critical of me um, because they wanted. Well, I was a bit of a hot house flower. My brother left home when I was five to go to university. He's twelve years older than me. He's an historian. He's the black sheep because he wasn't in show business. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very much, very much hot housed, And we didn't have any other family mm. in Australia because they were 10-pound poms. And uh, so it was quite a, a kind of closeted upbringing, but it certainly made my imagination work. Mm. But how did that influence your own parenting, if that was tough and critical? And Well, I think like anyone, you know, you, you, we are conditioned to be the way we are by primarily our parents first. And you know, I think it's it behoves us all to say at a certain point, well, what part of that conditioning do I want to keep and, and what part, you know, is no longer serving me? And one of the things that I've always done with my kids is, is when I go over the top or I explode or I come to a hasty judgment, I always apologise because my parents were never wrong. And, and my father would always, if I, you know, when I was a teenager, if I came up with an opinion that was contrary, contrary to his, he'd say, what have you been reading? So uh, I've, I've um, probably too much overcompensated the other way, but I've always said, look, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said okay. that. I overreacted um, and I've never been a parent before. So you're going to have to forgive me if you can. But I think it's important because, you know, we do get mm. things wrong and we do do things that we shouldn't do sometimes. And, and uh, it's important for kids to know that, you know, if something's not acceptable, you know, we, I didn't learn boundaries. My parents, as a, as a young girl, you know, it was be nice, dress nicely, be sweet. And so that opens the door to people to not, you know, horribly abuse you necessarily, but to dominate you mm. and, and to make you feel inferior. And, you know, going through the feminist movement of the 70s and, you know, the backlash now against all that, um, I think it's really important that, that we are able to say, as particularly as women, that is not acceptable, mm. just not acceptable. The story you tell about your sons that, you know, you easily become misty-eyed, as, as do I, very lachrymose, um, but that they used to slow hand clap you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they, if they, <laughs> if they um, did, and I now know they would, they would literally go and work out how to make me go off like a frog in a sock. They would literally go, six years between, they would go and go, you watch this, I'll get her, I'll get her going, she'll go on. And sometimes I would cry out of frustration and and they'd go, oh, yeah, BAFTA, Oscar, well done, which would make me laugh, which would prove their point. Um, But, yeah, they're they're fairly um, And it's not something you would have ever done to your parents, though. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that's the difference, isn't it? No, I do remember as a child biting my father's finger once when he was wagging it in my face. (laughs) 
I didn't do that again. <laughs> Did you draw blood? No, no, no. I just saw this wagging finger. <laughs> Don't, didn't like it. There's some essential Noni, isn't there? Yeah, there's a bit of, bit of mother in there for Christy, the character. Uh, yes, Noni Hasselhoff. And the reason that I'm getting to have this in-studio conversation is because Noni is uh, on at the queue at the moment in this extraordinary one-woman show called Mother uh, in which she plays uh, a homeless woman with a, with a tragedy. With a story. With a story. Yeah. We'll leave it there. Yes. I'm not, not giving away anything. Noni, next piece of music. Yes. One of my favourite singers of all time, Michael McDonald, who used to sing with the Doobie Brothers and his voice just breaks my heart. And this is uh, a, and a great songwriter. This is a duet with the wonderful Patti LaBelle. There's an amazing version that you can see on YouTube where they do it live in a tribute concert to Michael McDonald. Um, but it's his voice to me is just divine. I love it. does have that straight to your heart quality, isn't it? It certainly does. It certainly does. And it's, you know, I tried to find a bit of a theme today about love and um, that song and the, the next one we'll play later are both about travelling, really, mm. and, and being on your own, which um, has been an interesting, an interesting part of my life. Noni Hazelhurst, my special guest, and a text from Ian saying, thanks for the interview. We now have tickets for Friday night's show. So oh, looking forward you. to it and loving the third season of A Place to Call Home. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> you are on Triple Six. Noni Hazelhurst is my guest. And Play School, of course, so many of us know you from Play School. 1978 to 2002? Correct. 22, 24 years. 24 years. Yep. I can't even count. <laughs> <laughs> you say it taught you to be yourself. Yes, it did. I mean, for actors, you, you'd mostly pretend that the camera's not there. So it took about a year, I think, of, of being able to not be self-conscious about the crew and to really focus on the one child. And so if you can hold a three-year-old or four-year-old's attention for half an hour and, in fact, invite interactive response, vocal response, well, adults are a breeze. <laughs> Because a four-year-old is not going to just sit there because it's on. A four-year-old is, or three-year-old is going to find something that's alive and happening. If you're, if you're not really there in that moment, even though it's carefully rehearsed and there's no auto cue, and um, you know, you have to learn to to be relating, to engage that person. That's what those children, small children, want. As adults, we get less used to being engaged with. You know, we we tend to kind of avert our eyes and. And not be real and pretend we're all fine. Whereas a three or four year old is a great teacher because they just go, this is how I feel right now. And that's all that's going to happen until I change my mind. And so, you know, if we talk about mindfulness and being present in the moment, small children have everything to teach us. But it was hard. Is it one of the hardest gigs? Is it? Um, it it's all right once you get it once you get what's required but it's a very hard discipline it's a 32 page script uh, it's now taped in in segments so I think it's a bit more perfect than mm. it was uh, I don't know why they did that because it wasn't broken it didn't need fixing but um, it can be hard and a lot of you know most of Showcast, <laughs> the actors uh, casting book have auditioned for play school um, and it does it, it is demanding and you know you can't just stick someone in front of a camera and expect them to present I don't care how good an actor you are. You know, it's a different skill set, as you know. Um, 
But it also, I think also getting older makes it a bit easier to, to be yourself. Mm. You tend not to care so much. I had, had one of those moments in one of those ABC functions in a park here and there was little kids mm. and I clearly lost them in the first 30 seconds and Jay Guy just came on stage and went, move over. Fantastic. <laughs> this is how you deal with Fantastic. kids. And I went, it was such a learning but it's, moment But it's really me. interesting. It's really interesting because people say to me, you know, I don't know how you get up and talk to people. And, and when I first had to give speeches, I, I was so nervous about being thought terrible or bad that I would even write, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and I'd write, thank you at the end. And I used to get so jealous of people who could just extemporise. And and then I realised, and a friend, Mary Cardi, who's a wonderful writer, was launching her book and she said, I'm so nervous I have to speak at the mm. launch and I can't, it's way out of my comfort zone. And I said, well, just start with that. Just tell them, look, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm not used to this. And everyone in the audience will go, oh, she's perfectly honest and human. You know, we, we don't need to pretend that we're mm. good at everything because we're not. And everyone wants you to do well. That's what I always say to people when they've got to speak. They all want you to do well. But how boring is it to watch someone read a prepared speech with no contact with the mm. audience? You know, and poor politicians, because they don't have a lot of time, I guess, you know, they have their speeches prepared for them. And, but, you know, what a speech that lives is a speech where someone's actually engaging with the audience and, and showing them something real about themselves. Mm-hmm. I loved it too in that speech, the Logie speech, where you said no no child is born a bigot. No, of course not. Of course not. Um, and, you know, to be told that it's all right to be a bigot in this country, that you're allowed to be a bigot in this country, I just find risible. Um, how, how is it good if anyone's a bigot? Well, how does that add anything to the sum of human existence if we say, oh, yes, it's fine to be a bigot? You also said that, it, and, it, and it's, it was just such a great, there were so many levels to that speech, but you said it used to be easy to protect children from bad news. Oh, absolutely, because mm. there was no 24-7 news. Uh, it wasn't on at the dentist. It wasn't on in the bus. It was, you know, there were four channels and they were all over by 10 o'clock at night. And we didn't also, we also didn't have the immediacy and the repetition that we have now. You know, you see in any news report, particularly of a disaster or something terrible happening, the same images are, are revolve, revolve over and over again. Um, and, and so we, be, we do become inured to, to these kind of images. And, and yes, there's part of us all that likes to look at terrible things sometimes because it fulfills, makes us feel safe or whatever it is or reinforces our prejudices or whatever. But I think it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's really important. Mm, because you talked about the bombardment being mm. overwhelming and that you're fearful that our hearts are growing cold. Do you think yeah. they are? Well, if, if a do-gooder is seen as something stupid, then to me that suggests a cold heart. Um, you know, how can we say that, I mean, it's just dumb luck that most of us were born in this country or are lucky enough to live in this country as opposed to, you know, where most other people have to live in the world. And so to suggest that we somehow, you know, we can't share that better or we can't, you know, help people to have a better life who don't have all the things that we have access to, I just don't understand that mindset because there is no heart in that in that feeling. You know, there's no heart in that at all. Mm. And I think, you know, if you are a Christian or if you are an exponent of any religion that that in- invites you to reach out to your fellow human being and be kind, then I, I just don't understand how people justify being unkind. It doesn't make sense to mm. me. You are on triple six, seventeen degrees. Yes, it is. It's Noni Hazelhurst <laughs> you're listening to. The stuff. What is it like to be recognised all the time, Noni? Because we, we do, there's kind of ownership of you yeah, that we have. Yeah, it's lovely. I sort of feel like an honorary auntie to, <laughs> to so many generations. It's a great privilege, Alex, and, I, and I'm just so grateful that I, I had that 
I have that demographic, mm. if you like, because, you know, and, and as a mother too, you know, people understand how important and how precious their young children are and and what an icon and a haven play school is and was. Um, but, yeah, nearly every day of my life, you know, yes. someone like says... Is that annoying sometimes? Well, it's only when someone who I think is looks older than me says, I grew up with you and I just want to <laughs> slap them. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's lovely now that the kids who watch me now, some of them have kids of their own and, you know, there's a real sense of continuity there and, and uh, I do feel very, very privileged to have done such a beautiful program for so long. Noni Hazelhurst, and Noni is on at the queue in Queanbeyan. She's there until Saturday night in a one-woman show called Mother. And uh, I'll just go to a bit of Joni Mitchell, just because we're hard up against the no time. And uh, tell me why you've chosen. Again, it's a travelling song. It's about being on the road as a performer, and it's a very haunting song, and she's such a great poet. I mm. love her. Sorry to fade the gorgeous Joni for Noni. That's all right. That's all right. I have her on loop. (laughs) Noni, as you say, probably there wasn't much choice about your life. It was just in the DNA that you would... Didn't occur to me to do anything else. When you look at it so far... Mm. Are there anything you do different? Is there anything you do differently, or would you have chosen another path if you? Oh, I'd probably be more self-directed. I think actors, you know, I just tend to wait for the phone to ring, and uh, you know, luckily it has. So I've mm. been really lucky. I think six months is the longest I've been out of work since 1972. Um, but Gee, that's a great claim, isn't it, well, for an Australian it's, it's, actor? And... I think it's also testament to the fact that you do have to do it all. You know, that I've directed and I've sung and I've done radio and. You know, you have to be prepared to be able to do anything, and particularly as you get older. You know, getting this play Mother together was a direct result of the first, the second season of Place to Call Home. They cancelled the show, and I thought, well, I'm 62 or one or whatever I was then, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to get a lot of offers, so I better generate yeah. something myself. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, I I never it never occurred to me to do something else. I love telling stories. And you told us some stories and there was real leadership. I I saw this quote today that if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. And that speech you gave, Noni, I think did all of those things. Well, I won't be going into politics. but (laughs) Well, maybe it doesn't come from politics sometimes. No, I just keep pushing the arts. I think the arts are suffering terribly and I think it's, uh, it's a tragedy to live a life without exposure to the arts. It's part of being a well-rounded person and they do help to make life worth living and to remind Mm. us that life is beautiful. Thank goodness for you, Noni Hazelhurst. Go along and see Mother Support the Arts, support this beautiful, beautiful production that tells us a lot about ourselves. Um, So great to see you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Um, The incredible Noni Hazelhurst, my special guest. Thanks for listening to this Triple Six ABC Canberra podcast. To subscribe to this or any of our podcasts, go to abc.net.au slash Canberra.